Welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Today we hear from British actor and comedian Lenny Henry about his new scripted outfit Esmeralda Productions and Banerjee's Patrick Holland on backing it. BBC Studios' Ralph Lee and ITV Studios' Julian Bellamy on the turbulence of the last 12 months and what's to come in 2024. And Sky Showtime's Monty Sarhan on why, while the industry may be past peak TV, the future belongs to streaming. British actor, writer and producer Lenny Henry launched new scripted outfit Esmeralda Productions recently with backing from European TV giant Banerjee. It's the celebrated comedian's third production venture after Crucial Films and Douglas Road Productions and came out of the gate with its first drama, Three Little Birds, for ITV in October last year. The series, written by Henry and executive produced by Russell T Davies, was inspired by his mother's experiences after boarding a cruise ship from Jamaica for the UK in the 1950s. Esmeralda, set up together with former BBC Studios exec producer John Sen, is developing comedies and dramas featuring both marginalised and mainstream voices with a view to championing underrepresented writers, cast and crew. Henry and Banerjee UK boss Patrick Holland spoke to Michael Pickard about the venture and its ambitions. People in Britain particularly will know you for your acting work and comedy work. Tell us a bit about just the, the journey that you've had from acting to work as a producer behind the scenes. Uh, the producing thing for me, I got the bug in the early 90s. I, t- I made a terrible film in, uh, in Hollywood in the early 90s and I decided on the plane home that I wanted to be more in control of my work. So I started a company called Crucial Films, which was eight years of my life. We made Neverwhere, we did Chef, The Lenny Henry Show, Funky Black Shorts, we're in textbook now. Um, We did a thing called um, A Step Forward, which the BBC funded, which was something that allowed uh, marginalised voices to write comedy scripts, and everybody came and talked to these people. It was like for three days, and we organised that. Um, my mum passed away in 98, and so I decided not to have a production company for a while. And then I started Douglas Road a few years ago at Banerjee, and uh, I loved it, but we made mainly documentaries and factual. And every time I saw um, the boss, I'd say, I want to do scripted, and we should be doing scripted, and this is, this is rubbish, and it wasn't rubbish. Uh, and then when uh, my former partner said, well, we should make a decision about what we want to do, I saw Patrick and said, I really, really, really want to make scripted and comedy and that's what I should be doing. And Patrick said, let's figure it out. And so we did. And here Esma Elder Productions are. Fantastic. And from your side of things, Patrick, how did you kind of wind up with Lenny and, and Esmeralda? So I started at Banerjee UK 18 months ago as the CEO. I was at the BBC before that, running BBC Two. And um, one of the great excitements for me coming to Banerjee was working with extraordinary talents like Lenny, who was in the Banerjee family, but as he said, was um, was running this production company called Douglas Road, which I knew and I had commissioned at the BBC, making some terrific documentaries. Also some brilliant, um, there was a series of shorts which were for um, emerging black voices that we did on BBC Four. Soon Gone Windrush, Soon Gone Windrush Chronicles it was called. And it was astonishing and some amazing um, uh, performances and some amazing um, writing that, um, that was there. But those were very, very low cost pieces. Yeah, we were making drama despite despite, the <laughs> despite being a factual <laughs> entertainment company. We, we did a thing called My Name is Leon as well. 
And uh, before that, I made a thing called Danny in the Human Zoo. And these were all things that I was making just through sheer tenacity. Um, but I wanted a more uh, structured place from which to do that, which is why I approached Patrick. And I, I mean, I came to Banerjee UK and one of the first things that I spoke to my new bosses about was, you know, they said, what would you do in terms of growing the company and or the group of companies? And, and I said that scripted need to be a massive part of that. So since I started that sort of doubling down on scripted, investing in scripted, and because we take the longer view, it's not just about returns in the immediate, having a strategy that meant that we were able to invest um, minority investments in emerging companies, new companies, and, and invest for the long term. So you say, rather than this being a two-year strategy, this is, and it's not even a five-year strategy, it's an eight-year strategy, which says, let's build the company, let's grow a great slate of shows, and then let's pitch them out, make them, and then start to see the returns on those over a longer period of time. So when Lenny came to me and said, I want to make, I want to focus on scripted, I want to, I want to pour all of my energies into um, a new company, that's why I said, let's do it. I mean, we've got a knight of the realm, um, an extraordinary creator, an extraordinary beacon for talent across the industry. Um, and I know that, you know, you go and talk to ITV or the BBC or Netflix, everyone wants to work with, with Lenny. And so the idea of being able to give him, um, or to help his journey and to help sort of provide a bit of a runway for, for um, the new company was really exciting. And yeah. we, we talked about, you know, who would, you know, one of the things that we were so keen from, from the outset was to say, um, rather than just rush to market and, and, and set the company up, is to say to Lenny, well, who would, you, who would be in your team? Yeah, because it was this idea of it had to be someone that fits, someone that was complementary. And I wanted somebody who made lots of programmes, somebody who was used to producing programmes day in, day out. And John Sen uh, from the BBC Studios uh, Entertainment Industrial Complex, uh, who made lots of EastEnders, lots of casualty, incredibly brilliant at writing, directing, producing, all of those things, just seemed like an interesting bet. I'm black, he's brown, we have similar tastes, we like <laughs> we like Francis Ford Coppola, Scorsese, Spike Lee. We like all kinds of things, and he's very particular about the kind of things he wants to do. We also want to make programs that amplify marginalised voices and give them a chance in the mainstream. I also love working with the people I love working with, so I know a lot of um, very established, successful writers. So I'm trying to bring all of those things together under one roof. I think it's, you know, if you're, if you're um, talent adjacent, and you can get them to work with newbies, then that should be a thing that you do. We should all be about enabling and encouraging new talent all the time, no matter where you are on the showbiz ladder. And so um, it's a bit of facilitating, it's a bit, of, a bit about working with people I love, whose work I love, and it's also about seeing these new guys going to the theatre saying, that's a good writer, let's get that person in, talk to them about what they want to do in the television sphere. And so, yeah, elevating new talent, working with the people I know, and bringing them together, for an explosion into the mainstream. And if we talk about Three Little Birds, which was on air recently, can you tell us just about how you managed that in terms of the many roles you had on the show and, and acting and, and writing and producing as well? How do you wear those hats when you're on a, a show as a producer as well as? How do I wear the hats when I'm doing something like Three Little Birds? It's extraordinary because I was the writer, so that was, that's all previous. Two years, working with Russell T Davis at the beginning in terms of generating and he basically mentored me on the project because I'd never really done a, 
a kind of mainstream high-end drama series before. And Russell, Russell had done a lot of it, darling, it's going to be marvellous, darling. Uh, and so we worked very hard on, on just thinking about some of the things that might complement this show. And he talked about putting your heart on the page. You know, this is about our moms and dads, the people who came here and walked cold streets in the 50s to try and make a new life in a country that didn't really want them. And overcoming that and making friends and making allies. So we talked a lot about that. And then the writing, which was hard, um, but writing is hard, you know? And uh, just feeling it, trying to feel the feelings. He kept saying that too. And eventually, people got very interested. I mean, within, within a very short space of time, Polly Hill from ITV and Kevin Ligo from ITV were saying, what is this thing? We want to know what it is. And so um, within, I would say, within a month of starting work on it, because of all the connections, because of the subject matter and, I don't know, Black History Month coming soon, they were just very keen on it. And it was a labour of love for me, so I was really happy that somebody else loved our project. But there's more where that came from. It's a returnable series, so we wanted to come back. And there's loads and loads and loads of ideas. We are not short of ideas. We've got a great team, Claire Batty uh, as uh, development head and Lisa Makin as development producer. Um, we're all incredibly, Lisa's very talent adjacent and about new writing. Claire's incredibly steeped in development and Johnny's just a machine, you know. So I'm, I'm, I'm loving where we are at the moment. We're already going <laughs> Patrick walks by me here. We've got a logo. It's great. <laughs> and, and I guess from both of your point of views, when you know, Patrick, when you're working with an actor who's becoming a producer or when you're an actor becoming a producer, how is the perception perhaps on both sides of the actor? How am I going to get on? Are they just going to see me as an actor, as a commissioner perhaps, or a producer? Can they do this? I mean, how, how are those misgivings or preconceptions sort of battled and overcome perhaps? I could talk to Patrick. Anything I'm worried about, um, he's only up the, up the stairs a bit. So I'd just go and talk to him about that. Because there is a thing of... You know, are you going to be in it? And if you say no, slightly eyes glaze over because they, oh, you're not going to be in it. But um, what I think is that if, if I'm enthusiastic, I have a lot of energy, as you can probably see, and I love stories. I love telling stories. I love pitching. I love being in the room. I like playing all the characters. And I, I kind of know the people who, are, who I think are going to write it too. And I just enjoy my job. But there is a thing that I sometimes talk to Patrick about strategy and about business and stuff, because you need to know that stuff. It's show business. So I have to kind of uh, make sure that I, I, I come to Patrick's office and I sit there until he arrives. Sometimes I'm there for an hour and a half and then he shows up and I go, what about this, what about that? And he, I get all excited. And he basically reassures me, that's all you need really. In this business you need somebody who goes, go on then, show me, and then you're off. And I think from our point of view, my point of view, that sense of if there, you know, there are obviously around the world um, companies that are set up by actors that could be construed as sort of talent, you know, as vanity projects, or they're very much just there as a sort of a way of you getting an executive producer credit or whatever. You know, no criticism of anyone, but it's just an observation. And but for us, we're not interested in that. We're interested in you know fully formed, um, you know companies that have got extraordinary strategic focus. And so for, for me, when we're, and for Banerjee, when we're looking at a new company like Lenny's company, the, that sense of 
what does it, you know, how much does Lenny want to do? Does he really want to be the producer as well as the, as, as the talent, as the, as the on-screen talent? Um, how much does he want to be a, writing that? But crucially, it's how much is that sort of passion and vision that he, Lenny brings encapsulating everything that's happening? And so that sense of how do we help, a bit like you know, I said earlier, the runway, how do we sort of help that plane land on the runway? And part of it is you know, Lenny's extraordinary genius and passion, but it, then it's also bringing in people like John Sen, bringing in people like Claire, bringing in people like Lisa, and having Kirsty running the whole show as well. Because then what you have is a, you've then, it's a company. Yeah. And so Lenny's power and passion in the pitch Lots of alliteration there. Nice, I like it. But lots, but you're, but you're phenomenal in the room. And so when you go into the room and pitch, you know how are you going to cut through millions of different sort of projects? Well, not millions, but there are thousands of projects out there. And as a commissioner, I used to be a commissioner. How does those shows rise to the top where you go? I want that. You know, that's the one to do. And so Lenny's being at the heart of Esmeralda, it being your company, is hugely significant in terms of winning commissions. But I'm very aware that it's not just a pitch. You need to be able to back sure. it up. So that if, if we've got Lisa and Claire and, and John, that's really good infrastructure for me to work within. And they can, they can work without me and with me. So I think that's a really, because sometimes I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be acting and I love, I love acting, but I really, I'm prepared to put time into this. This isn't just a vanity thing. We want to. We are very serious about our mission statement, which is basically to elevate people from the margins to get them into the centre space and make mainstream television that can return. And um, it's exciting, and it's what I want to do. And so, acting isn't going to be sidelined. It'll be part of it, and I'll be in some things. But generally, I'm interested in making things for other people too. I mean, what are some of the things you've learned as an actor about production or the way you want to run productions from maybe your experience in other productions? Um, have projects and productions happen in the summer when it's warm? <laughs> Three Little Birds was so cold. Oh, God, it was cold. I had all these Jamaica people on set going, why are we shooting it now? It's bloody freezing. It was amazing. And I, I just shot something the other day and it was literally 10, 15 degrees below zero. And... Um, Everybody had to be happy-go-lucky with the steam coming out of our mouths. I, I think it's a balance. It's time management. Uh, I think it's choices. Um, and I, I just think it's being enthusiastic when, you, when you're on set. Being enthusiastic and letting everybody know that you're there with them and there for them before you go off to Claridge's for your lunch, darling. <laughs> Great. And just finally, I mean, you know, you talked about an eight-year plan. I mean, where do you hope to be? Yeah, one year, two years, when might we see the first projects coming off the... Ooh, that's a hard call. I mean, hopefully we'll do more Three Little Birds, but there's there's lots of things on our plate, and it would be wrong of me to sort of go, we're going to be doing this in eight years' time. But I just know that uh, in my heart I feel there's so much more to come from us, and we can't wait to get going. I think there's, just from my perspective, again, it's you have to have patience. You know, the idea, especially in scripted, that there's going to be a show set up next year, you know, or in production next year, as it would, would, would be fanciful. But the ambitions around the slate, you know, so who do you bring to the slate? What does that slate look like in a year's time in terms of new writers, established writers? And Lenny is that, you know, he's been a beacon for change and the diversification of the people who tell the stories. And that's what's so exciting, isn't yeah. it? Who are you going to, who, how does that start to, 
and build. It might take longer. You know, I mean, you've got yeah. all these new people, but I'm, I'm hoping to balance it out between experience and uh, the, the novel and the unique. So if we can balance that out, it might be that we get something away sooner rather than later. Mm. But, um, you know, it's a long game. We're not in it, well, I'm not in it for the and then get out. Twenty twenty three was a challenging year for most, but one in which BBC Studios thrived, delivering events including the King's Coronation and Eurovision, and series like the final season of Happy Valley and Planet Earth Three. The UK version of Top Gear was rested, however, following a crash involving one of its hosts, and long-running medical drama Doctors was cancelled, though a new Doctor Who emerged as part of the series' 60th anniversary. BBC Studios Productions' chief executive Ralph Lee spoke to me about these developments, reflected on the tectonic shifts witnessed in the industry last year and what's to come in 2024, including continued consolidation, concerns about the ad market and Wall Street confidence in big US media companies. What were the big stories for BBC Studios last year? So for BBC Studios, 2023 was a really big year, uh, particularly on screen. Uh, we were responsible for many of the big kind of TV moments in the UK. Some of them things that we couldn't have foreseen in 2022. You know, the, the King's Coronation, the Coronation Concert, even the delivery of Eurovision, which we delivered about a week after the King's Coronation, uh, weren't things that we you know, had as long to plan as you do for many of these events. So, you know, these were some of the nation's biggest TV moments of the year, but also the biggest drama of the year was Happy Valley, you know, the finale of uh, Lookout Point's brilliant and Sally Wainwright's brilliant uh, uh, third series. Uh, Elton John at Glastonbury got record ratings for the Sunday night concert that finishes Glastonbury. Planet Earth 3 got over 10 million viewers for the, for the launch episode Consolidated. So, you know, we were really behind some of the big TV moments. Another great year for Strictly. You, you never know going into a year whether mass audiences like that are going to hold up, whether you're going to still be able to get 10 million plus people around single programmes. But I think we showed in 2023 that we were able to do that across a load of different genres and, 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 and a real range of exciting different content. What about the, um, the sort of uh, export market, I suppose, for you and, and the international market? How, how was that? 2023 was you know, a challenging year in many ways. We saw a contraction across the industry um, but obviously yeah. you're, you're, you're working much more broadly than just the yeah. UK. What, what was the overall kind of international So I think, I think for all global studios, 2023 was a challenging year. Uh, and there's a lot of attention paid to the strikes and the impact that the strikes had on the scripted business in particular. But I think behind that, there's been a big change in strategy with the, you know, with the global platforms and the, the journey that they've been through and the kind of tectonic plates of the media industry shifting, and that's probably as impactful in some respects, possibly more impactful than the strikes themselves. But luckily, BBC Studios is a well-diversified company, both in terms of content that we make. You know, we make across all different uh, genres, from scripted at one end to kids and family at the other end, with global entertainment and formats, high-end factual. So we're well-diversified. We're not kind of all, all in on one particular genre, and we also we're strong globally, not just in terms of the UK and the US and English-speaking markets. Our distribution and our production capability is very much global. So in, sp in spite of those challenges, 2023 was a big year in terms of delivery, in terms of brilliant creative content ranging from Bluey at one end to Strictly Come Dancing or Planet Earth 3 at the other, but also in terms of business. It was a tough year, but we still delivered an underlying growth and a really, really exciting ongoing pipeline for the industry. 
Indeed, I think it was a, a record, a record year for you, wasn't it? Financially, well, 20, in 2023, we delivered the results from 22-23, the financial year, which for BBC Studios were the record-breaking results. Uh, it was over two billion in revenue and about 240 million in profit. So, you know, we demonstrated coming out of COVID a real underlying strength to the business. And in spite of the challenging year, we're really looking forward to continuing growing the business. You mentioned some of those tectonic shifts um, and, and uh, the contraction that, that has taken place primarily in scripted. Uh, there was the decision taken to, to cancel Doctors, a decision I believe that was due to uh, superinflation in drama. So, you know, just, just tell us about that and um, talk a little bit about that example and the way I suppose you're adapting your business to this, this kind of new era, I suppose. Yeah, so, I mean, in the UK, there's a, an ongoing remix, as you can see everywhere in the world, between the balance between broadcast and digital and, you know, platform viewing. So for the BBC, that's the balance between BBC channel viewing and iPlayer viewing. And that means a remix going on for Charlotte Moore and the team. And that means that some of the titles that we made or make historically, like Holby City a couple of years ago and 2023, you know, the, the announcement of the closure of Doctors, mean that some of those shows that have been very strong and continue to be strong in linear, but aren't very strong on iPlayer, we've had to, you know, face the difficult decision to stop making them and look at how that money can be reinvested in scripted content that works better across both platforms. There's also been a lot of cost inflation. You know, the BBC, as everyone knows, had a flat license fee for two years, which means that the content budget was really challenged at a time when there was a flat budget, but there was also a lot of inflation in the cost of making scripted. And, you know, factors like that play quite a big part in influencing the decision to close a show like Doctors. I think in the wider global market, some of the shifts that we saw in 2023, we might not have foreseen in 2022. You know, it was, there, was a, there was a moment where all of the big global platforms were all about, we want all rights in all territories in perpetuity. And then suddenly that's changed. They're sort of shifting to a more windowing and distribution model where they're interested in certain territories more than others. They're interested in more co-productions. And we're seeing content deals where a, a, a title that was bought by an SVOD is then gets bought, sold back to ITVX or Warner's do a catalogue deal with Netflix. So this kind of all or nothing uh, global platform play that we were seeing very clearly about two years ago has suddenly become more mobile. And, you know, who knows where it will go next. And, and obviously that's advantageous to you, I guess, in, in, in terms of uh, co-productions and, and, and sales, as, as you were saying. Um, if we can talk about another Doctor, Doctor Who, I, I believe this this deal kind of predated the sort of the tough times that we saw last year. But, the, you know, the, I thought the sale to, um, to Disney Plus, Disney Plus coming on board that was, it was, it was a different kind of a deal, I suppose, than, than perhaps we've seen recently. And certainly it was a new deal for Doctor Who. So um, can, you, can you talk about that one? Yeah, in 2023, we celebrated the 60th anniversary of Doctor Who. So, you know, if there's one show in the world that has demonstrated its ability to reinvent itself, you know, continually for different eras, for audience tastes and for the kind of model of television, Doctor Who is probably a brilliant example. The new iteration, exciting new iteration that was launched in 2023, first with the specials with David Tennant and Catherine Tate coming back, and then the transformation to Chuty Gatwa. You know, this time the, the, the page has turned significantly. This time it's BBC Studios partnering with Russell T. Davis and Babel to produce the show, and it's the BBC partnering with Disney Plus globally to fund the show. 
and you can see the ambition, you can see the kind of creativity on screen and happily uh, the new launch in 2023 landed really, really well with audiences and we hope provides a kind of platform for growth for future iterations of Doctor Who. And that partnership between BBC in the UK and Disney Plus as a global platform for it works really well and has been able to fuel and kind of back the ambition for that new iteration of the show. And uh, Top Gear, obviously a, a show which has been rested in the UK. I mean, it's, it's a huge show for you uh, globally, but um, uh, you know, if we can sort of move on to talking about, about formats and unscripted, um, you know, what can you say about that decision and you know, what it means for one of your biggest properties, I suppose, in the yeah. catalog? Yeah, so 2023 was obviously a really difficult year for Top Gear. You know, like after a, a really serious accident, our priority was to support Freddie Flintoff through the period after the accident and the BBC made a difficult decision that the right thing to do at this time was to rest the production of the UK show and as BBC Studios we're obviously the producer of the show you know we, we agree with that decision we think it's the right thing to do now the use of the Top Gear brand publishing digital and non-UK versions of Top Gear continue you know and so we're, we're, it's important that the Top Gear brand is still ongoing and you know in, in global formats more generally we've had a really exciting year you know we brought together all of our entertainment and factual entertainment and music capability internationally in the UK under one new structure under Matt Ford called Global Entertainment and we've had real success with a format in the UK that's an ITV format but that we represent globally which is 1% Club and we've seen that really start to work not just in the UK where it's coming back and back uh, and demonstrating really good ratings, really good impact with audiences, but it's now getting recommissioned in the first five or six territories in which we sold it. It's sort of worked for other platforms. It's worked in Australia, it's worked in France, it's worked in Germany. We're really driving the growth of that format because we really believe it's something that will work in every territory. We've talked, spent a lot of time talking about last year, so let, let's talk about the year ahead. You know, what are, what are the things that you're really excited about? I know there's been changes at the team. I don't know if you want to talk about those. Uh, Kate Oates taking over from Priscilla Parrish, uh, Nick Lee joining Tom Williams. Um, what are you excited about in, in, in the year ahead, you know, as far as BBC Studios is concerned? So at BBC Studios, we continue to evolve our model. We're doing a lot of work on our internal structure to make sure we work much more coherently across the studio, breaking down some of the kind of separateness that existed between production and distribution to work more closely. We're always on the hunt for great talent that we continue to either bring into the group or to back. We've got Nick Lee joining in our scripted uh, headquarters. We've got Kate Oates now taking on a wider brief covering drama as well as EastEnders and Casualty, which she's been running for some time. We've got new talent coming in with Catherine Patrick into our docs unit, which is now gonna be led by Georgia Mosley, who's grown out of our podcast unit. So we're backing talent, internal and external, continuing to evolve our model. And when we look ahead at the pipeline for 2024, both scripted or the, you know, the, the new factual under Kate Ward, who's now been enrolled for about a year in factual, we're really seeing that starting to motor. The pipeline that we've got ahead of us, both for the BBC and for all of the other platforms and clients that we work with is looking really, really strong. One thing we haven't talked about, uh, some of the acquisitions that you've, you've made actually, we didn't touch on, yeah. on that sort of side of things, Metal Mouse, Bonafide Films, River Pictures that you're, you're backing or, taking stakes in, in some of those companies. Um, can we talk about that, that yeah. strategy in terms of backing businesses and again, take that forward into 2024? So in 2023, we continued our policy of investing in great 
British creative talent and expanding our international footprint. So we bought STV, which is a Nordics production company or group of production companies, uh, which we're very excited to bring into the fold. We've got further acquisitions ahead in 2024, which continue to build out our international production capability and you know, evolving both our scripted portfolio uh, and, and also our formats and entertainment portfolio. So 2023, we invested in Kelly Webb-Lamb's Mothership and in Sarah Tykeff and Sean Harris's uh, Metal Mouse. Uh, we produced some further internal labels like River Films in our scripted uh, department. So we continue to evolve our model really with a view to capture and work with the best talent available in the industry. Consolidation continues apace. By the time this goes out, all three media may well be part of another organisation, which may or may not be Banerjee or uh, you know whoever. Maybe you can tell us. But um, you know, <laughs> don't know any more than you do, to be honest. No. Um, you know that's going to have a big impact, right? All three, if all three becomes part of Banerjee or it becomes part of ITV or whatever. I mean, you know, that, that's going to be a big change in the marketplace. I don't expect you to talk about that deal directly, but um, you know, what about consolidation, the pace of that continuing and, and you know, how you will respond, I suppose? Yeah, I mean, consolidation continues, but in the end, you know, commissioners and platforms want to buy from great talent, you know, and they want brilliant ideas, they want people who are capable of executing those ideas, who are trusted to deliver them. And I think at BBC Studios, we're really, you know, we've built a model over the last four or five years, which is really now proving itself. And we're excited about the three or four years ahead where we think there's further inorganic growth, but also we'll be driving growth by acquisition, by mergers and acquisitions, by looking at investing, continuing to invest in talent across all, all our different genres. Okay, so the big sky picture stuff for, for 2024, AI was a, was a huge theme of 2023. Some people think it will totally transform the, the business uh, moving forwards. I don't know if you have a view on that or are there sort of you know, other business-related issues which are kind of closer to home and more immediate? You know, w what are the big challenges that you foresee in, in, in 2024 and, and the opportunity? So, look, I think the, the, how AI is going to impact the industry is still yet really to be discovered. You know, I think in 2024 that will become clearer. So I'm sure it will be an ongoing theme. If, if it's quite a big sort of explosive moment in 2023, it's not going to you know, go anywhere. I think we're going to discover exactly where and how it's going to impact on the industry, hopefully in lots of really interesting and, and many positive ways. And I think, you know, actually there are two macroeconomic forces that we've got to try and figure out where they're going to go. Is the ad market going to pick up, both in the UK and the US and globally? You know, that's a really, really major factor for commissioning, for people's ability to stand up and fund content. And ultimately, will the big American and global media companies, you know, stabilise, you know, there's been a lot of turbulence with their share price. Will their share prices go up? Will Wall Street start backing them more? Will confidence return to those really, really big players who connect to so many different things that we do? I'd say those are the two big macroeconomic things that we'll be having a close eye on. Julian Bellamy is Managing Director of ITV Studios, one of the leading independent producers and distributors in the world with operations in 13 countries headquartered in the UK and US. The company's 60-plus production outfits are behind series including The Voice, Love Island, Queer Eye, Gamora, Vigil, My Mum, Your Dad and One Piece. Bellamy spoke to me about the challenges the industry faced last year as a result of the Hollywood strikes, streamers recalibrating their business models and a struggling ad market and where the opportunities and challenges lie for ITV Studios and others in 2024. 
Let's look back on 2023. What were the, the, the key stories for you? What were the, you know, some of the program highlights? What were some of the challenges that we faced across the industry? 2023 was an extraordinary year. When you think back um, over what happened, I mean, a number of big things, you know, buffeted the industry. You had obviously the Hollywood strike, which pretty much closed down um, American scripted television for what, pretty much six months. Um, you had a lot of pressure on the free-to-air uh, uh, commercial broadcasting side of the business as they grappled with, um, with, with an ad recession and started trimming and pausing some of their, some of their content spend. And some of the streamers, some of the streamers um, having to deal with changes in their business model, changes in their content strategy and spend. Um, and of course, the whole thing then underpinned by, by accelerating technological change in pretty much every facet of the business. Um, so a lot of our year has been about steering away through that while still concentrating on doing what we do best, which is creating, developing, distributing big hit shows. And if you look at drama, for example, um, uh, 2023 was a very strong year. I mean, it, towards the end, we had this wonderful big smash hit show, One Piece, made by Tomorrow Studios, um, landed on Netflix, you know, was number one, I think, in 84 markets for Netflix, uh, lauded by the companies, they recommissioned a second series. Wonderful thing to see. But across the board, very strong in, 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 in scripted. So I think, you know, nine out of ten dramas on uh, the ITV network in the UK uh, were nine of the ten highest rating dramas were produced by, by one of our companies. And our overall output of, of, of a lot of that premium drama, you know, has moved from really 100 hours of, 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 of premium drama just a you know, couple of years ago to well over 300 in 2023. So very strong performance in, dra in drama. In, in the formats business, you're always thinking about two things, um, and 2023 was no different. You, you, know, you, you look to grow, protect, nourish those big brands. So The Voice was in 73 different markets. Love Island finished the year in 27 markets. Um, the Chase, I'm a Celebrity, these shows also traveling internationally. And then you're looking to launch new. Uh, and this was a year, and we know it's very tough um, to launch new shows at the moment. For, you know, cluttered market, a lot of risk aversion, um, less money in some parts of the business. But we still managed to cut through with some shows. The one that I'd really pick out is My Mum, Your Dad. Um, I think one of, the, one, of the really, you know, one of the most loved shows, actually, in the UK this year in, in the reality space, now traveling to over 10 markets. Um, so a strong year creatively, but, but, but quite a bumpy one for the industry. Your revenues as a, as a business, you know, they, they, they were strong in amongst all of this. I don't want to delve too much into the sort of the financial side of things, but um, continuing that growth in, in a challenging market, but the, the impact was significant. There has been contraction. You, you referenced that some of the streamers have, have kind of pulled back on, on spending. How are you responding to that? There's also been the dynamic of some of the US studios returning to the licensing space that they have kind of stepped out of over the past few years. So um, opportunities opening at the same time, I guess, in some ways. I mean, how, how do you kind of navigate all of that turbulence? Well, let, you know, when you think about the turbulence of 2023, I think it's very important to remember that we're still in the market where it, it, this is still a $230 billion market. Um, you know, there is still an awful lot of shows being commissioned and a lot of opportunity. So our starting point is there's still a hell of a, a, a lot of opportunity. And when you, when you look at the streamers and how, how, the, um, how the streamers have dealt with uh, content spend over the course of this year, you know, you, if you cut through some of the headlines, actually it's quite a mixed picture. You know, let's not forget, you know, Netflix are pretty much holding their, their content spend. 
Um, we're seeing other streamers actually increase. Some are decreasing, but even those that are decreasing are still spending more than they were two or three years ago in most instances. So we still see this through the lens of opportunity and we think there will be other opportunities opening up as a result. You know, um, I think we're clearly you know, going to be in an era where content is going to be shared widely, more widely across different platforms. I think that opens up some very interesting possibilities around creative deal making um, for studios like us. Um, and you know, fundamentally, and I always say this to the people in our group, you know, for all of the change, and for all of the, you know, some of the bumpiness of 2023, it's still fundamentally a hit business. And, and, and you know, our primary task is training all our guns on trying to develop and, and produce and distribute big hit shows in both the scripted and unscripted space. And that task remains as big a priority uh, um, in 2024 as it did in 2023. So let's look ahead to 2024. What are some of the shows that you've got coming up that you're excited about? Highlight some of those, if you would. 2024 looks like it's going to be a really strong year for us um, creatively. If you look in, um, in the drama space, for example, I mean, there's so many wonderful shows. Um, I'll just pick out a few. I mean, really look out for, you know, for Franklin, um, which is a big Apple TV Plus series starring Michael Douglas, is the, one of the American founding fathers, Benjamin Franklin. It's a big, historical, period, epic of a, you know, of a show. We've got um, um, a show called um, Rivals, um, made by Happy Prince, one of our UK um, um, labels. Um, that's going to be on, um, uh, like I said, Disney Plus. It's the, an adaptation of the Ginny Cooper novel of the, of, the, of, the same, um, of the same name. I've seen a couple of episodes of it. It's fantastic. Um, and, you know, if you look more widely across the group, there are a lot of non-English language dramas that I think are going to be really interesting this year. One that I'd pick out is a show called Citadel Diana, uh, made by Cat Leia, uh, a production company in Rome, the makers of Gamora. Um, and that's going to be out landing on Amazon um, in 2024. So a lot of quality and strength in scripted. And then in unscripted, of course, we've got those big formats continuing to roll out. But we've got other shows now, I think, gaining a lot of momentum. Look out for, you know, um, uh, more series of My Mum, Your Dad uh, rolling out across different markets. Um, and a lot more quiz and reality shows coming down the line. Shows like I Kissed a Girl from 2-4. Uh, from uh, that's another show that's going to be um, uh, hitting, the, hitting the market soon. So a lot of strength and depth in the, it, on the creative side. You talked about some of your international markets there. Perhaps you can delve into some of those territories a little bit more. Talk about the way in which they've been changing. The Nordics has had a, a, a big hit in terms of, you know, one of the big buyers there, Viaplay, removing itself effectively from, from the market. I don't know how much work you were doing with them, but um, from speaking to other execs here, there are a lot of markets which are facing challenges, you know, and, and which have been cutting back regardless of whatever's been happening in the US and so forth. So. Um, do you want to talk a little bit more about those those territories you referenced? Yeah, I mean, I just think I won't go particularly sure. ter territory by territory, but I can you know, really, in a way, when you look at the international landscape outside of the outside of the the UK, there's no question you see quite a mixed picture. Uh, there are some markets like Germany, for example, I think that are you know going through a particularly bumpy period at the moment. I mean, there's no secret about that. Um, and there are other markets that are still you know pretty robust at the moment. Feel like the French market is still you know is still pretty strong. In the grand scheme of things, I think still think the UK market is still, you know, is still, you know, very, very strong. Obviously, the US market is um, is coming out the back of, the, you know, the 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 the, the strike. 
Um, but I still think in the end for us, we see this predominantly through the lens of, you know, um, there's still an awful lot of spend. Um, and you know, the, the, the ad recession won't last forever. Some, some money and some content spend will come back. Um, you know, debate, discuss how much and, and what those trends are. But there's no question as a producer, uh, you know, we're optimistic that there'll still be a lot of opportunity going forward. M&A, to the extent that you can address it, I mean, you know, regardless of whether you're an active participant in it or not, consolidation is something that continually changes the, uh, the nature of the marketplace and, and a certain company which is up for sale is, is a significant one and, and wherever it may land up, that will change the game for, for others in that same kind of uh, orbit, I suppose, significantly. So what can you say, if anything, about M&A and your expectations about you know, that, that kind of um, trajectory for 24? Yeah, our approach to M&A is pretty consistent um, and, and we're very disciplined about it. I mean, we, we, we're, first of all, we're very comfortable with the scale that we have. We have a wonderful array of talent and a wonderful array of production companies. So we don't desperately feel the need to, to add, but we always look at any opportunity. And you look at it through the lens of, you know, uh, uh, you know whether they're you know, a great creative company, great, great business, great cultural fit, whether critically you can you can um, uh, acquire a company uh, in a way at a price that creates shareholder value. Um, and so you look at it through that lens and we're pretty disciplined about it. Um, but it is only one part of our, 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 the way in which we add to the group. One of the things we'd be doing more and more, for example, is doing more adding talent, bringing them in, setting them up with you know, um, their own you know, labels and production companies. And you've seen quite a lot of that over the last um, uh, you know, two or three years in particular. People like, for example, uh, Ben Stevenson, um, who's set up Poison Pen uh, Studios with us. Uh, Ben's, co of course, come from JJ Abrams' company, uh, Bad Robot. Um, you know, Nicola Schindler um, came from Studio Canal, um, set up Key Street Productions. So we're also looking at that front um, too. It's, it's really, it's really looking at any way in which we can we can bring into the fold quality businesses with great talent who are a great fit. And, and we've been pretty consistent and disciplined about how we've, did, how, how we've done that in the past, and I don't see that changing going forward. Let's just talk about 2024 a little bit more. You know, what, what are your expectations, your hopes, um, your ambitions for, for, for ITV? You've talked about some of the shows. I guess there's no escaping. We're moving into an environment where people are going to have to get used to, to smaller uh, production budgets. Some production companies are struggling, you know, and, and, and uh, I think even within your own organisation, there was a story I saw of multi-story media making cutbacks. Um, Come Dine With Me is obviously a huge, a huge show for you as well. So it does feel like we're moving into a, a slightly different era of television and, and uh, one in which, you know, the going is going to be a little bit tough. I don't know. You're, you're optimistic. You're, how are you feeling about 2024? I'm, when I think about 2024, you know, there is no question that for a lot of people in our industry, it's going to be, it's going to continue to be pretty tough, right? You know, we can see the stats around, for example, in the UK, the state of the freelance market. There's no question that it's a, you know, there are, you know, it's a, you know, for, for many people in our industry, it's, it's pretty tough going. And, that, you know, you, you, you know, being at the wrong end of um, uh, some of the contraction in content spend, albeit a chunk of that, I believe, will be temporary, being at the wrong end of that is pretty tough for people. Um, and certainly saying that, I look at us as a business, and I think this is where 
you know, our strategy really pays off. You know, that being a scaled business, diversified, with an awful lot of you know, um, big brands, big production talent, big production companies, um, making shows you know, at the premium end of the business. Um, I, I think that's really, you know, for us, that gives us a lot of confidence um, about 2024. And I still think, look, fundamentally, easy thing for me to say, but I still think you know, you've, you've got to go back to the fundamentals for all of the change, for all of the storm clouds, for all of the technological you know, you know, change that's, 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 that's feeding into our business. It's still fundamentally the same business. It is still fundamentally a hit business. And making sure that you are doing everything you can to narrow the odds of developing and producing new hit shows is, is still the thing that ultimately will drive the business. And that's really where we're training most of our guns over the next few weeks and months. You referenced technological change. AI has been a massive story yeah. in 2023. Uh, do you have a view on AI, whether it's you know, a, an opportunity for you? How concerned are you about uh, eroding some of what you do? What's your view on AI? So we're doing a lot of thinking uh, in the studio about a AI. Um, I think our view at the moment is, is that um, it's more of an opportunity than anything else. I personally don't think AI is going to overwrite succession, um, but I do think it will have a potentially a big impact on uh, a lot, many aspects of our business. We, I would describe us as being in experimental mode. Um, so we're experimenting with different AI tools at the moment. You know, there's a tool called Trint, which is a sort of auto transcription service, Papercut, which is an auto dubbing service or product. Um, we're playing around with things like that. I think there is a, there'll be a question about you know, how scalable some of this is, and we'll wait to see um, how, you know, how that plays out. But we're, we're, I'd say we're, we're more in experimentation mode than, than anything else. But I think fundamentally, we still see it on balance as more of an opportunity for a studio like us than anything else. Sky Showtime, the joint venture subscription streaming service from Comcast Sky and Paramount Global, launched in September 2022 and is now present in 22 markets across Europe. Drawing on the combined catalogues of Universal Pictures, Nickelodeon Paramount Pictures, DreamWorks Animation Paramount Plus, Showtime, Sky Studios and Peacock, the service also offers originals and released 10 in its first year, with more on the horizon for 2024. Sky Showtime Chief Executive Monty Sarhan spoke to me about these plans, the challenges the industry faced last year, and why, though the business may be past the era of peak TV, the future belongs to streaming. Sky Showtime came together uh, as a product of both Comcast and Paramount Global, deciding that there was a unique opportunity for them to create this joint venture, bringing together their fantastic content all in one place to serve new audiences across Europe. And so they formed this joint venture. And it's really fantastic if you think about it. So you have two of Hollywood's oldest studios and two of the biggest entertainment companies really bringing together some of their best assets, two of their most premium brands, great technology, and most of all, great content, uh, and bringing it to new audiences who have never really seen some of these shows. And that's, that's been a fantastic opportunity, a fantastic voyage. We launched in uh, September of 2022 in our first markets in the Nordics, and we finished our launches in 2023. In all, we launched in 22 different markets in the space of just five months. So a really remarkable, fast rollout, and the response has been tremendous. Can you explain a little bit about the choice of markets to, to, to go into? I know that, you know, 
it's partly to do with legacy businesses that, that were there um, and also, you know, is, is there a roadmap for expanding into other territories as well? So Paramount and Comcast looked at the landscape and, and really it was an expansion plan to go into markets that were new for Sky. Uh, Paramount did have, you know, substantial business in these markets, mostly a linear television legacy business. Um, but this was really an expansion plan into new markets where streaming was still growing. I think that's an important thing to mention. Sometimes the U.S. narrative, uh, people tend to think that's the narrative worldwide. Our market streaming is only growing. It's still, in fact, very early days. So we feel very good about that. And, um, and they looked at those markets and, and saw this unique opportunity. They've put together all of this, uh, we talk about the content, it's also their brands. You think about Paramount, Nickelodeon, and DreamWorks, and Universal, and Peacock, and Paramount Plus, all in one place. And, um, you know, what about the complexity of putting that together? Obviously, bringing together any kind of joint venture, um, but when you've got program rights in multiple territories from uh, multiple organizations, what was the sort of the, the journey like and what were some of the complexities and challenges? The two companies have, you know, been extremely aligned in having this shared vision of what the future looks like. That the, that the future is going to belong to streaming and, uh, and that they would be, by bringing their assets, their substantial assets together in this joint venture, that they would be doing you know, have a better opportunity. And um, the complexity, of course, is that these 22 markets are very different. And sometimes, you know, people say, well, you launched a streaming service in 22 markets. And I, and I like to say, actually, we didn't launch one streaming service. We want, launched something more like five or six or maybe even seven different streaming services because these markets are so different. And if you look across all of our markets, we have some of the richest countries in Europe some of the poorest countries in Europe. And they're all at different places in the streaming voyage. And you have places where there's cord cutting and people are leaning more into streaming, but you have other parts of our markets where the linear uh, MVPD television ecosystem is still really quite strong and, and direct-to-consumer is, is still relatively nascent. And so there's no one-size-fits-all. We don't have a one-size-fits-all strategy. It's a bespoke strategy. We lean into the opportunity in each part of our markets in a different way. And that's what makes it not just challenging, but also interesting, compelling, and why, uh, you know, my team and I love to get to work in the morning. You know, we, um, everything we do has to be translated into 18 different languages. Our content has to be made available and accessible in those languages. Our interface on the platform has to be accessible in all of those languages. So there's a great deal of complexity in just even reaching consumers in a way that's meaningful and authentic to them and communicating to them. And in terms of the business model and, and launching a subscription service at a time when, you know, we've seen elsewhere in other markets a, a, a sort of a shift from subscription into ad-supported. So talk about the, uh, the logic, I suppose, behind that, the thinking behind it, the strategy, and how that plays out given the, the shifts that we've seen elsewhere in other players' business models. What we've seen over the past uh, 18 to 24 months is really that the same business models of television are still durable. The same rules still apply. And we've seen that there's a place for subscription television without ads. We've seen that there's a place for subscription television with ads. We've seen that there's a place for free ad-supported television. 
All of those things have always existed within the television ecosystem, and they exist today. They just have taken on a different look, a different shape, a different form. But all of those same business models and how consumers want to consume content, it's all the same. And really, at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. It's about delivering to consumers the content that they care about most. Last year, 2023, was a you know, very turbulent year in, in many ways. Even preceding that, we had what a lot of people called the great Netflix kind of correction, where their subscriber numbers were revealed to be not as uh, buoyant as they had been anticipating. There was the introduction of an ad model. And then that kind of ripple effect has uh, gone across the industry. We've seen the studios cut back on, on spending on original content and obviously the, the, the strikes last year as well. So can you just reflect a little bit on that turbulence in, in 2023 and um, you know, what that meant for, for Sky Showtime? The world, the entertainment world, the television world has been going through a great deal of change. And sometimes there's, there's growing pains that come with that. We're seeing technology disrupt the old ways of doing things, old business models, old revenue streams. And I think every company is trying to adjust, trying to adjust to the future. And how do you meet the needs of the consumer in the future? Not just today, but also going forward. And, and streaming has done that. And so you're seeing uh, people trying to make the shift, obviously, from linear television into the streaming world. We also saw that I think we're now past the era of peak TV. And there's a right-sizing that's been going on, when, on throughout 2023. Companies are all focused on making streaming profitable. And you do that multiple ways. It's about scale with subscribers, but it's also about content costs. And there was, I think, a real proliferation of content. Everyone is producing less content now. And to be honest, that provides a, a real competitive advantage for Sky Showtime. Because we're a joint venture, because we're a joint venture of two of the biggest, greatest entertainment companies, we benefit from the combined pipeline of both companies. In 2023, uh, you know, we had nearly 50% of box office on the service. That's tremendous. So these are really two prolific companies. And so in a, in a way, the changes that have happened, that happened in 2023, haven't impacted us as severely as, as some other services. And I, I think that's been, it's been good for us. It's always been inevitable that there was going to be, uh, as, the, as streaming matures and is an industry, that there were going to be those changes. Some of the US studios withheld rights to their own shows for their own streamers as, as they kind of launched and developed those around the world. Others, Paramount among them, were, were sort of more firmly attached to, to licensing programming to, to third parties sort of throughout that period. And we've seen the likes of, of, of Disney and, uh, and others re-enter the, the licensing space. But w what does it mean in terms of Sky Showtime and in the markets in which you're operating? Is you know, Presumably that, that programming is not available to, to license to others. Um, can you just talk a little bit about the, the rights and the licensing side of things? The great thing about Sky Showtime is it's a fantastic value proposition for consumers. We're the exclusive home for the pay one window from both Paramount and Universal, and we're the exclusive SVOD home for all of the great series that are coming from Paramount Plus and Peacock. And we think that provides a tremendous amount of value for consumers. You, you look at the, the global blockbusters we have from Yellowstone 
and Tulsa King to Halo, um, to all of the big movies too. I mean, just in 2023 alone, we had Babylon, we had Super Mario Brothers, um, Fast and Furious 10, all of that, all in one place. So that's a great value proposition. Uh, the model has shifted in 2023. We saw a real, real return, I think, of, of entertainment companies valuing licensing again. As I had mentioned, all of the old rules of television still apply. People are seeing value in having different windows and having content live in different places at different times. And it's not, uh, it doesn't have to be a zero-sum game. I think that era of having all of you know, one's content in one place forever isn't really good for consumers. And what's good for business and what's good for consumers is that that content lives in multiple places. And the people get different ways of accessing it at different times. And 2023 was a real return to that model. What about entering the Nordics at a period when we've seen in that, particularly in that region, we've seen HBO Nordics kind of withdraw from the original production sort of side of things and uh, Viaplay, one of the biggest players in that region, sort of seemingly overstretching themselves with investment in, in original production and, and, and then sort of shutting down effectively. For a new player to, to go into that space, uh, you know, what, were you expecting all of that? And, you know, what, how does that kind of change or affect your, your strategy? I think what's really interesting about Sky Showtime is that we were created for Europe. So, yes, we're the product of two great entertainment companies from the United States, but we were specifically created for these 22 markets. And so unlike a lot of other streaming services, these markets are not flyover markets for us. We're not a flyover service. These markets are our primary markets. We're focused on them in a way that others aren't. And as you've seen others retract and pull back, uh, even, you know, shutting down in some markets or even just deciding not to produce content in some markets, that's actually created an opportunity for us. It's created an opportunity for us to establish ourselves as a European streaming service, to super serve customers there. In our first year, 2023, first year of operations, we launched 10 original series. That's virtually unheard of for a brand new service. And I think it's a real testament to our commitment to these markets in a time when other streaming services are making different decisions. We launched original series in each of our regions. We had two uh, original series in Central and Eastern Europe. We had original series in the Nordics. We had original series in Spain. We had four in Spain, as a matter of fact, and also global originals across our footprint. For us, uh, there's still a tremendous opportunity. We know that these audiences want content that speaks to them, that resonates with them, storylines that are authentic, characters they can relate to, uh, and that's, that is an opportunity for us to meet that demand. So if you want to talk more about some of that programming, if you wanted to talk about some new stuff that you've got coming up, looking, looking ahead to, uh, to 2024. In 2023, some of the great original programming we had included Warszawianka, which was a, a Polish uh, original starring Boris Schitz, really one of the biggest, most famous uh, actors there in Poland. Did extremely well for us um, and just a great compelling show. In Sweden, we had uh, Codename Annika. It's a Swedish-Finnish production really a real new twist on the Nordic noir genre, um, and that has done fantastic. In Spain, we had four uh, originals, including Fleeting Lies, top tier name talent that's recognizable across Spain. We had Bose, which is really a, a bio of, of, the, uh, of the huge music star Miguel Bose. So 
it had that, all of these things bring in a huge audience. They're all relevant stories. And in 2024, there's only going to be more great originals. We, uh, we just announced uh, Veronica, which is going to be another uh, Nordics series that we're proud to announce. Uh, some of the biggest talent in Sweden is going to be in that show. And we're actively in development on a number of projects too. So we'll be announcing things for Poland and some of our other markets shortly. And just give us the, the industry view, I suppose, for, uh, for 2024, you know, some, some predictions. AI was a huge story for, for 2023. A lot of people are anticipating it's going to transform the industry in the year and years ahead. I don't know if you want to talk about that specifically, but yeah, I mean, what, what do you think are going to be the, the great transformational things that are going to be happening this year? What are the challenges? What are the opportunities? What do you think we're going to be talking about this time next year? I think in 2024, we're going to see more of the things that happened in 2023 continue. And generally, if you, if you just look at sort of the trajectory of television, the history of television and what's been happening, including in the past five years, it's all been pro-consumer. And we're going to continue to see that. You're going to see streaming services improve their offerings, bundle with other offerings, all of that's trying to create a better, more compelling consumer proposition. So I think the one thing that we can say for certain, it's always hard to make predictions. I don't like to make predictions because it's really hard to, to guess what the future looks like. But one thing we know for certain is it's gonna be better for consumers and we'll see more of that. For our business especially, going into 2024, we wanna build on all of the success we had in 2023. 2023 was really still a launch year for us. We launched in some of our biggest markets at the beginning of 2023. We have all of the great building blocks in place. We're now live across all of our markets. We have an amazing team that's all over Europe. We have seven offices uh, across Europe, just to show you, give you a sense of how dedicated we are to these markets. And, and now it's about building and scaling that business. And a, a key part of our strategy has always been about partnerships. And we believe in partnerships. We believe in going to those uh, MVPD uh, partners in various territories. We have some big partnerships in place in the Netherlands with Zigo and uh, with Mayo in Portugal, we're gonna be announcing others soon as well. Those are great because those are really rich subscriber ecosystems. People are there to consume video. And uh, anytime you can partner with somebody and build a business with them together and find ways to, to deliver a better content experience for consumers, that's always a great thing. Sky Showtime's Monty Sarhan. That's all for this episode, but you can hear more interviews by tuning in to our C21 FM internet radio station from Monday. The podcast will be back next Friday. In the meantime, stay up to date with all the latest international TV industry news and views by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening.